Welcome to Minority Report. I'm your host, Salomon Flamenco. On today's episode, we have Ana Sofia Pelais, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Miami Freedom Project, a progressive organization working out of Miami, Florida. This is a really fun conversation to have. Uh, I wanted Miami Freedom Project on specifically because of Ron DeSantis. I mean, I don't know if there's any other way for me to really sugarcoat it, right? I think that Florida is facing some serious challenges right now. And it concerns me that he's probably going to run for president. And I wanted to see what it was like working in a progressive organization in not only a red state, but in the specific cultural context that is Miami, Florida. And I thought it was really cool to learn about. I thought it was really cool to hear about the motivations behind it. And again, some of the specific challenges that come about working in this specific cultural context. Here is our conversation with Ana Sofia, and I hope you all enjoy it. Hi, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for thank you for having me. Typically, when I start this, I always ask everyone, who are you and what do you do? But based on your organization, I know there is a little feature called the Miami Freedom Stories. So I want to ask, who are you? What do you do? And what is your Miami Freedom Story? My name is Ana Sofia Pelais. I am the co-founder and executive director of Miami Freedom Project. And my Miami Freedom Story began when my family made the difficult decision to come from Cuba. They were came here in the early 60s. It was very much in as a in response to the revolution where they didn't feel that they could continue in Cuba in the way that it was changing. So they made the difficult decision to leave and to start a new life in the United States. For me, the imperative was always that they came seeking freedom in a ways that they they no longer felt like they would have in in Cuba, given given the change in what happened as a result of the revolution. So my Miami Freedom story very much belongs as part of that process. And the reason that we decided to start our project and name it the Miami Freedom Project was because we felt that our families came here. That's what our families were seeking. And very much because they were seeking that freedom, it should become, it was, it was that freedom for us is something that exists across the political ideological spectrum. And we wanted to create a space where people, we felt people could have that conversation across a lot of ideologies and a lot of ideas because our family did not come here seeking to be single party, seeking to think only one way, thinking, thinking to follow a very hard line in any direction. They came here for that, for freedom. And we wanted to make sure that people were finding ways to express that. Yeah. What I love about the name also is just Miami Freedom Project, because it plays into that idea that everything we're doing is a work in progress, right? That That's cool. I agree with that. And I think that's, that's very much, you know, I, I think that if you ever get to the end of that project, you've probably gone too far in the sense that if you're not constantly checking in with yourself, checking in with your community and making sure that everybody feels that they're participating and that they're in some ways improving upon and evolving through um, in ways that are positive for for everyone and getting the best possible outcome. Um, you're you've probably gone too far. I don't know that certainty is a place where freedom is very comfortable. I think 
you know, the, the kind of certainty we might feel in our own ideas or beliefs is probably uh, where, where we may be, you know, kind of gone too far into an extreme. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the more concerning things for me right now in this current moment is everyone's very much set in their ways with no room to dialogue with each other. You know, absolutely. And I do think that I think people feeling that they're in some ways too easily identified or that their their ideas aren't aren't complicated or that they even have a full understanding and they can't be kind of very aligned in one way on a certain issue, but then have a different experience or a different perspective on another. And I think to the extent that we're able to have that conversation, I think is is really it's essential. Um, and to have that understanding and to give people a chance. I think, you know, if you if you feel strongly about the way a person represents you, um, then you should you should absolutely support them. But if on a different issue at a different level, if you're looking at local versus state versus, you know, the governor's mansion versus the presidential, I think the to the extent that you can have a different understanding, a different perspective at every level, I think is important. And I don't think we have that anymore. I think, you know, it used to be you could identify a certain way and then have that be the start of, you know, your understanding. And now it's kind of become the end. Um, we've, we, we don't really give people a way of, of, of even kind of expressing that complexity and that, you know, give them a sense that they can evolve in a way or, or you know, just have a different understanding of things in a way that they, they, they're not marked by it. Yeah. Or defined by it, really, is a, probably a better way of, of saying it. Can you talk to me a little bit about some of the specific work Miami Freedom Project does in South Florida? Sure. So Miami Freedom Project does the work of creating a political home for progressive Miamians. We focus on the Latino community, which is very diverse in Miami, and it comes with a diversity of experience, which in many ways can hinder or maybe um, impact ability of Latinos to become involved in progressive issues or become involved in issues from a pro progressive perspective. We're a majority minority city, which means that we have a majority of foreign born residents. And many of us, many of the people who work with Miami Freedom Project have that first and second generation Latino experience, oftentimes coming from Latin America in circumstances we would describe as, as 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 traumatic, fleeing an authoritarian regime. So many times that experience influences how they're able to understand and assimilate and advocate in, in a different political context. So if you think of someone coming from Colombia, being a first-generation American, many times they're participating in U.S. They're participating in an election, but their vote, how they see the issues, how they understand them is impacted by a political context that's developing and happening in Colombia. Mm -hmm. So you almost like, you know, you're reacting to a situation in Colombia, but you're voting in the United States. So to the extent that we're able to understand that experience and really make sure that people are understanding issues in a very real time real experience here. That's part of the work of Miami Freedom Project, having that innate understanding that we're understanding things differently. We're interpreting them differently because of this experience, this lived experience of, of our families. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. I think this is incredible. I was listening to another podcast you were on. I'm forgetting what it was called. And this was kind of what your episode was about. It was talking about how can you kind of bring those 
generational and ideological gaps, right, from family to family. Yeah. And look, it's important if we want to see the progress that we would want to see in our communities. So if you think about someone who is living in these these very different political contexts at the same time, and they have an express need. They need their first their first generation Americans. They're coming from an immigrant background, and they're experiencing all the difficulties of that. What that assimilation looks like, economically, culturally, in a kind of social social way, in the in the way we we feel that we have a, a kind of support system. All these things that we experience as as Latinos who are, are having that experience of migration, immigration, all of those challenges. And you know, they they have a very basic need of of healthcare. They have they're engaging in a public school system that's very different from what they may have known before. The way that they advocate, the way that they make a connection between the people who are best representing um, the issues that impact them and the services that they need, um, the way that they understand that is going to impact their vote. So we want to make sure that if they're going to be able to ask to make that decision, that they have all the information, that they have a full breadth of political diversity, different ideologies, different ideas, different opinions that are going to be able to inform that decision and not have it be a reactive trauma-informed response, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, many politicians for many different um, reasons can they can use that it's something that it's a trigger that they can use and they can you they want to elicit that emotional response and you don't want that emotional response to direct you in a way that is going to make you vote against your own interest um, we have a community here working class community in Hialeah for example that has a very high Obamacare enrollment I think we might be highest in the country but I would have to look into it to say we're, we're always we're always at the top but I think we might we might be number one but I, you know I'd want to look into that but we have a very high Obamacare enrollment. And yet, if you were to look at how people vote, they would vote for people who, and many times have voted against it or have voted to repeal it or have voted to minimize the impact it could have. We live in a, you know, Florida is a, um, we haven't been able to close the Medicaid gap. We need to, we're in the process of trying to advocate for Medicaid expansion, even though we have a real express need for it. Mm -hmm. So these are all ways where the, you know, the services that someone needs um, and that have every reason as Americans to vote for and to hold their um, their elected officials accountable for providing, they're not voting for. So how how we can kind of understand that that problem so that people there's a real cause and effect where you have an issue, you have a vote, you're able to make that vote count towards solving an issue that you're having. I want to stay on this thread also. I'm just wondering, can you help situate myself as well as the audience as to what are some of the specific challenges facing Miami right now? I'd say the one issue that people would probably identify first is housing. Mm -hmm. um, we've had an influx of population coming. Um, that's always that's always part of the Miami experience. This is this is something that we're we're, we're moving population, and we have historic um, communities in Miami. We have Alapata, which is a historic Dominican community. We have Liberty City and Overtown, incredibly rich history of Black community, and they've always been inland. Mm -hmm. So these areas where maybe at one point were not considered desirable places to live, where people who were under-resourced would, you know, be able to find and create these communities, um, that's where that's where they would that's where they would concentrate because of climate pressures. You have people who would, you know, normally move 
live on the coast, these were the kind of aspirational places we would want to think of living, moving inland and places, you know, these communities that were always had high rent um, populations, there's, we're seeing a lot of turnover and we're seeing the erasure of communities that are, are culturally distinct communities that we think of as having the reason that we love Miami, that you can have these experiences in different parts of our city. So this was something that was ongoing. And then at the same time, we've had an influx of people moving here since COVID. So mm. we've had a really high population increase and housing has become really inaccessible. So you have people at every stage in their life really finding that Miami is in a place that they can be in in a very fundamental way. You have people who are, um, you have, you know, climate gentrification due to climate pressures. You have people who are graduating and would want to come back to Miami and start their early professional careers here who feel like it's, it's not accessible. You have a community that, you know, provides all of our services that don't have the kind of immediate, you know, transit doesn't really allow them to take these, take these jobs that, you know, people who we need, people who are our nurses, our teachers aren't able to find housing that allows them to, you know, be continue to be part of, of our community. So you're seeing just displacement in every neighborhood and you're seeing a migration north um, and you're seeing a migration south where people are being pushed into low lying areas that are going to be more vulnerable to the sea level rise that we're seeing. So I, I'd say, you know, those are the things that we're, if there's a, there's not a lot of things that I can walk into any family reunion, any friend group, any kind of community gathering and speak to where everybody would have a about, everybody would have a concern with, everybody would be in conversation of what those challenges are. And housing is one of them. It's something that's affecting everyone because you can be very settled, but if your kids can't live here, if you're not going to see your grandkids because your family's going to have to move up north at one point, that's something that's very present for everyone. Um, we also have a property insurance market that's falling falling apart around us. So our costs are, are driving up. Our you know high energy costs are really going up, and it's making life very unsustainable for for many people here. And so I'd say that's probably the number one issue that we can all coalesce and agree that you know we need to see real action on. Reading the Miami Freedom Project site, I noticed there were around five different sub areas that are the main focus. And housing was one of them, housing economics, racial justice, I believe it was Cuban freedom, and one other one that I am blanking on. And I apologize. I think it was voter engagement. I think human rights and voter engagement. I do think, you know, we do, I think, understand that all of any issue that you want to see movement on the voter engagement piece is, is is part of it. That's that that that's where you can actually, you know, that that's that's a report card. That's how well or badly we're doing. That's what kind of progress we want to see happening. I do think, you know, I I think as a as a group as a organization that has a very welcoming Miami identity, we recognize that we don't look like anyone else. We don't talk like anyone else. We don't operate like anywhere else in the United States. Um, we're very unique, and I do think there's there's many pockets, like there's many kind of parts of the country that have a very kind of just where you see that there's a very distinct regional um, experience, and I feel like Miami is definitely one of those places that you think of as a kind of bridge where we're we're either Northern Latin America or Southern, you know, where we go from being like the Southern United States to Northern Latin America. You feel like you have to go north to go south here, um, because. You know, Miami is such a unique kind of, there, there are so many strong diaspora communities that are all equally important and equally 
um, very much part of this this culture in the city that's always remaking itself. So I do think we're we're very distinct in that piece. So I think where we kind of present this, um, it's really about social justice and it's really about how you can have these conversations. And with those as priority issues, because I feel like we're always looking for to identify areas that should be they they should they, they should be clear of any kind of partisanship or ideology. You should be able to have a place to live. Um, you should be able to, you know, have a career. Once you kind of set your path, you should be able to have a career that is able to support um, your support yourself, support your family, help you reach the goals that you have. So you're not only surviving in a in a community, but you're thriving in a community. Um, so we want to make sure that economic justice is something that's that's accessible and that's a, a kind of ongoing project that we're we're always expanding for our community so they can continue to be part of what's adding to our community, what's contributing to our community. When you think about climate, we're experiencing a real existential threat. The reality of, you know, we always have to think about, you know, whereas we used to think about 50 years from now, now we're thinking about 40 years from now, 30 years from now, um, what Miami is going to look like. And certainly, you know, every hurricane season, um, we have that real lived experience of feeling like we can be wiped off the map at any point. And then I think, you know, I think we've come to understand and it's an essential part that racial justice should inform any conversation we're having um, because it has been just that kind of, it's, it's, it's in our DNA and to kind of perpetuate systems of inequality and to the extent that we're able to identify those and work through those to, that we're able to see real progress mm-hmm. and real equity is something that we should, we should have to make sure that is in a very intentional part of any work that you're doing in any progressive organization. Mm-hmm. What I heard right now was essentially the variety of very important things Miami is facing right now and the greater United States to a certain extent is facing right now in terms of climate, housing, racial justice. Um, But if you were to ask Governor DeSantis of Florida, he would categorize the biggest problem issue to be wokeism, as he calls it, right? Florida is where woke goes to die. And so I'm just wondering, how do you navigate that atmosphere in your work? Yeah, I I, I recognize that wokeism is, you know, well played, Governor DeSantis. It's something that, you know, he gets to redefine every time he's at a lectern. Um, And it's really, um, you know, you can legislate it all day because nobody really knows what it is. It's something that we experience. It's something mutable. It's something that is really, he's trying to outlaw conversation, essentially. He's trying to outlaw a way of understanding your your community. He's trying to outlaw a way of interpreting your history. And as we all know, that is something that it's mutable, it's changing. It's something that evolves. So it's something that he can legislate all day. He can talk to all day, but nobody really, it doesn't, it means different things for different people. So as a politician, I would think it would be a really smart path to make your priority something that nobody can ever hold you accountable to because it's not fixed. It's what you say it is depending on what day it is. So I think, you know, it, it's it for us. I think it's it's really, as a progressive organization, it's challenging because you want to speak to the real harm that it's doing to people who are having the experience of being 
transgender youth in the godforsaken period of life known as middle school and really making sure that they they don't have they have the help and they don't they have the resources and they have the understanding that they need to do to get through that experience and to be able to continue to evolve and develop and to have you know feel that they have their full um experience as as human beings that we would want that sense of safety for all children um and you would want children who are, you know, yes, black students, and you would want Latino students, and you would want white American students to understand their own history, because we understand that you know, the United States is a project, and it's it's one that we always want to be looking towards perfecting, and I can't think of a better way than to have a truly critical, thoughtful understanding of, of, of what our history has been and how we've gotten here. So to the extent that he's able to legislate in a way that has a chilling effect on these conversations, on these experiences that are very unique and individual and that we should all just be very present for and supportive of each other for, um, you know, it, it, it has a chilling effect on our ability to engage on any of these issues in, in a thoughtful way. And at the same time, there's a very real, there, there's all the work that he's not doing. Um, there's all there's all the ways that he could be addressing the housing crisis, that he can be addressing our failing um, property insurance market. There's all the ways that he can be addressing climate change in a way that we're not just looking at resiliency, but sustainability, that there's a lot of things that we can be doing now and focusing our energies on now that it's going to ensure that Florida has a future. There's all the ways that he can be seeing people through this post-pandemic recovery. I think he's given a lot of attention or he's made it um, one of the gains of his administration that you know he opened Florida up early but did that have to be at the cost of our teachers peace of mind by challenging their their ability to have you know masks in schools when when they were still necessary by the by, by our understanding of the vaccine and what it's truly allowed us to do which is to get back to to even imagine a, you know a world where things are going back to normal and things are opening up in a way that's safe and, you know, I think that's that those are the things that I think everybody would want to prioritize. I think you know, Miami, especially you have a there's a strong entrepreneurial spirit of people who are coming from other countries that want to be able to start their business. They want to be able to support their families. They want to be able to have these opportunities. That's why they risked so they, they risked in a very real way um, their life, their well-being, their culture, their their ability to be in a country that they they loved and they felt seen and they felt a part of and start a completely new life in another. How are he, how is he supporting our small businesses in that recovery? Those are the things that I think everybody would like to see, you know, him prioritize versus whether or not a child is bullied in school and whether or not a teacher who is seeing that child be bullied has the language and the education and the understanding and the training to see to that child's safety mm -hmm. um, as well as their education. And to, you know, teach that kind of secular education that is also, in many ways, a kind of moral foundation for us as, you know, an ethical foundation for us that should also be part of our learning. Um, so I think, you know, when he kind of makes those his priorities, there's, it's not just what he's doing that is creating more harm to people. It's also what he's not doing that could be to their, their greater benefit. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that was a very long way <laughs> to go a long way to, to the question. It, it it made sense though, you know. It was it needed to get pulled out of there. So thank you for yeah. that. Um, little off script, but I'm wondering if you know anyone who is conservative in Miami. What has been the response to this 
these culture wars of DeSantis on that end? Like what has been the typical thought process? You know, I, I do think, I, I think it can be very difficult because I, I think there are people, you know, I, I think with DeSantis, we always start as at the, at a very high level. He's 100% bad against everything he's ever done. And I think when you have someone who's conservative, and I, I, there, there are people who are conservative who I respect, who I love, who I think you know have a very important perspective to add. It's natural when when you start at a very extreme to kind of be like, okay, well, it can't be all that bad. I think when we talk about sometimes when we talk about you know some of our worst instincts, I think that's a better instinct. You kind of look look for something positive. You look for something good. And I think the danger in that is you kind of start explaining things away. So you can be like, okay, well, you know, he hasn't done everything wrong. And it's like, sure, there may be some things he's done that you liked and that's okay. But is it worth it if it's at the cost of a Florida student's well-being? If it's at the cost of somebody being seen safely through the pandemic? There's a trade-off to everything. So is whatever good you've seen in him, is that is that worth what was lost? Um, you know, you may not you may not be in favor of a kind of more open immigration policy. You may be, you know, you may have concerns about immigration and, and what that would mean. Does that mean it's okay to go to another state and identify vulnerable people and move them under false, pre, you know, false premise to another state like he did in Martha's Vineyard? Mm -hmm. Is it okay to have children part of that process? You may not, you know, we may have a different viewpoint on immigrant justice, but is what those actions, those actions that were taken, are those ever okay? Um, and is that is that some is that a way that we can move forward in a positive way? Um, to have this kind of political activism be part of real policies that our state is deploying. So that that those are the conversations that I, I think that, that that are having with conservatives. And I do think I I you know I feel for conservatives, who really are you know guided by their own values. Do you have a sense of social justice? Do you have a sense of, you know, what our government should do and how it should be behaving? Because I don't feel like they're being represented well by um, the party or by 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 this governor where as 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 he's governing um, in in the kind of positions he's taken. I you know I was raised by conservatives. I had a lot of respect um, for what they did because they never for them it was never a question of whether or not they should help someone who was vulnerable. It was just a question of who. Mm -hmm. So the government wasn't doing, it was something that they felt that they can do through their church, through their own activism, through their own work that they were doing as volunteers in the community. It was never a question of blaming the person who needed that help and vilifying that person and targeting them. It was always about who should help them. And if it shouldn't be the government, then that means it's my responsibility. And then they would take that very seriously. Um, to have a, a kind of to, 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 to kind of um, mark someone, any kind of government intervention, any kind of government help is wrong, but then to not also step into that, that vacuum that you've created um, and to address that need of that person who needs you to be present or needs a service or needs support or needs a safety net, I think is, is I, I don't think is, is what represents conservative Republican ideology well. Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially in this current moment, because similarly, you know, my parents, I feel like people forget, not to be too general, but immigrants can be pretty conservative, you know, just based on their own respective histories. But it's it's completely lost the plot of what that means now. You know, it's. it's yeah, like and I, I don't take 
with anyone. I think, you know, a lot of our conservative communities are also faith communities mm -hmm. and they may be socially conservative, but they also, they're, they have a social justice imperative that's part of their faith. And that's why I still consider myself very much part of a practicing Catholic because I do not, you know, I, I do feel that the social justice um, teachings of the church are something that I really value. And I don't think of myself as not being part of that community because it sometimes finds a different expression from the more conservative elements and that are also that that are part of that community. Yeah, of course. I want to recirculate once again and um, talk about Miami specifically. In light of what we just talked about, I don't want to play into the stereotypes that are common about, you know, the Cuban conservative, the Venezuelan conservative, but I'm curious, what are some of the specific challenges of running and organizing in a progressive setting in Miami? You know, I, I think one of the challenges is that in wanting to represent that experience of coming from El Salvador and coming from Cuba and coming from Nicaragua and coming from Venezuela and coming from Chile and coming from Peru. Like you, 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 you want to honor the experience of your family. And no one wants to think that in taking a political position, in voting for a candidate, in supporting a policy prescription, and being for or against a le legislation legislation that's being considered. Nobody wants to think in any way that they're they're creating that separation from their family or creating or in, in any way denying any part of that experience. And a lot of times when we come from countries where people have fled an authoritarian government and that can take the form of a radical right or it can take the form of a radical left. I don't know that anybody, I think life is very complex <laughs> and there's a lot of gray area. So wherever you get into these extremes, I think you're going to have, there's there's going to be overreach, there's going to be real harm that can happen because we just don't live that way. It, I think it goes against our nature to kind of be all one thing or all, you know, just in, live in a very black and white world. I, I just don't think it works. So whenever that's imposed on any people, um, that's where you see a real harm. And I think people coming out of that harm, they need to be understood and they need to be able to have that conversation. They, be, be, they need to be able to say, I was, you know, I was a Chavez supporter and I thought that's who would help me. And things things went really wrong and I had this terrible experience because of it. Or I had to flee the revolution because I was no longer able to support my family and I wasn't able to express myself and I didn't feel like I was able to participate in my in my government in a way that I could feel I could feel whole and I can I, that that was the experience I wanted for my children. So I think people need to be able to have that conversation and be understood. And sometimes when things are uncomfortable, when we think about, you know, if you, you know, you, you don't want to think about having come from Cuba, having had that, that, that experience and having that real lived trauma not be understood by the people who you may agree with on an issue, but they don't really honor that experience. And I think so many of us feel like we have to choose. We have to choose between being Cuban and caring about progressive issues, wanting to have access to health care, wanting to have education be accessible to you, wanting to feel that there was there's 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 there are progressive movements where you can bring that experience to it and be seen and be understood and still be able to see the actions that you want to take. Um, and see the actions that you want, you know, happen, 
happen. Um, so I think, you know, we never want to feel like we have to choose. One of the things that came up with Miami Freedom Project is that we would have people who would say, I'm Cuban American, but I care about reproductive justice. I'm Cuban American, but I'm uh, a climate advocate. I'm Cuban American, but I care about immigrant justice. Um, we wanted to say I'm Cuban American and, because for many of us in the Cuban community, our experience as first and second generation immigrants is what informs our understanding of social justice. That vulnerability that our families experience is what makes us want to be there for our community, make sure that other people have access to the resources that were made available to our families. You always have these stories when you come over um, or when your family comes, comes over, and I don't know if you've had this experience where they say like, oh, this person got me a job. I was able to go to this agency and they were able to address this problem for me. I had, even for Cubans very early in the revolution, when they were coming in the early 60s, some of them didn't have their paperwork in place and they were able to be, you know, get to the point where they were in compliance. They were able to apply for, you know, as, as things were made available to them, they were able to get their status adjusted and they were able to continue as documented um, immigrants and able, they were able to access resources because of that. Mm -hmm. So I think at every point in those stories, there's always someone who stepped in. There's always somebody who helped. There's always a law that was passed that said, you know, these people need something they're going to contribute. They're going to be part of our, our 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 community. Let's make this available to them. So that's who you want to be. That's that that's the person that you want to be for someone else. You feel that imperative um, to be to be there. So I think there are many more people in the progressive in the community in the Cuban community that align in that way. But I don't think that we always feel comfortable being public about it. I don't think it's something. It's something that it feels very fractured. It feels that, you know, you can't represent both in a very open way because you don't want to be seen as not understanding the difficult history we had with a, what I think of as authoritarian regime, but that did identify as a leftist regime, that did identify as a progressive movement, even if in practice they were dictatorial and in many ways, very much in, in, went, went against the freedoms that, that we value here. So I think, you know, that's a very difficult conversation to have. So we have to be very open and vocal about happening, happening so that other people feel seen and other people feel like they can identify with, with these movements in a way that's safer and in a way that they feel that they don't have to leave anything or anyone behind to participate. Mm -hmm. I have uh, a couple things to respond to that with. And number one, talking about, you know, being open about this, what has been the reaction of people around you in this mission? I'm just curious. I would say it's been very positive. And I think that's one of the things that we're always looking for. Like, I want people to say, and it has happened more often than not, I'm so happy you said it, or, you know, that they, they appreciate that there's a Cuban American group that is very critical about, of the human rights abuses that are happening in Cuba, because there are. Mm -hmm. The story out of Cuba, the experiences that come out of Cuba are terrible. And we want the people who are coming out of those experiences to be heard. We want Cuba to get to the point where the freedoms that we take for granted here, that our families sacrifice so much to, to be able to, to have, are what our brothers and sisters can experience on the island. But we also want 
this community to be strong. We want this community to have as much as, as they need to continue and to thrive and to continue to evolve. And we want that healing to be there. We want to get to the point where it's not because it doesn't become a right left polemic. It becomes something that we have our full political diversity. We're able to express our ideas from the right, right and the left. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to have that conversation and not have it be toxic and not have it to be something that you don't want to say and, and, and have to kind of hedge what you're saying based on who you're talking with. So that's why we always, in our social media presence, in the op-eds we write, in the positions that we take on, on, on different issues that come up and the way that we try to address them, we try to be very intentional about bringing both of those identities. I'm Cuban American and mm-hmm. I think um, this legislation that's outlawing certain certain books in schools is terrible and this is not this is not why this this doesn't represent um the values um of that our families that our families came you know that were important to our families so many times people say like i'm so happy you said it and it, it's it's a very it's a very kind of like you do always have that moment where you are going to take that public position where you kind of hold your breath a little bit because you think this matters to me this is important to me does it matter to anybody else? And I think more often than not, we find people saying, yeah, thank you. Because I, I feel that way too. And I didn't feel like I could say it. I didn't feel like I could express it. Mm-hmm. And that that's who we're looking for. And that's that's where we want to not convince anyone, but to make people feel that there's there are other people who feel the way that they do. So they don't feel alone. So they feel like they can also have that presence in their community and they can be more open about how they feel about things. Yeah, of course. I think it's interesting, right? Because that is something that you have to, in my personal opinion, which I don't know if I should give, I do feel like a part of it is the way in which Anglo-American has, you know, weaponized this in a way, like weaponized the harm done in these countries for their own gain, where it becomes a bad word to say, you know, I like Bernie Sanders, or I think this, or I have this opinion, you know, like it's, it's very strange. Mm hmm. Look, and you can, I, you know, I can disagree with Bernie Sanders on on Cuba, mm-hmm. and I can agree with him on healthcare, and that's okay. And we can have that conversation and have that be the start of a conversation. Uh, and and I think that's important because I do think that's that is why our families came. Mm-hmm. I think you know when I think about my own family, there was political diversity, ideological diversity in my family, and that didn't change when we came here. And I think in many ways, it, it, it's, a, it's a very neat part of the story. I think the Latino community, it's very diverse in and of itself. I think we're in many ways kind of seen from a kind of, I, would, I don't know if it's an Anglo or an American lens as, as it's, it's, it, it can be hard to, you, you know, I, I, think, I think there are people, people um, almost reach for a simplicity. It's very, I, I think it's, it, it, our community is just, will never be easily understood. And there, there's ways that we're very different um, in our accents and our food and our culture, things that we all know as Latinos. And then there are ways that we're very similar because it, and, and I think the ways that we're similar is in the way that we're viewed. And no matter how different uh, Cuban American is from a Mexican American, for some people, they don't see a difference in us and in many ways the way that we might be treated can be very can be very similar in the way that we're not our, our kind of fuel our full humanity is not easily understood and you know i think there's there, there are points of common 
commonality. And then there are very real profound differences. And I think, you know, our experience is going to be very different for, for a lot of different reasons. So we're, we're both like more similar than we want to be. And also very as different as we know ourselves to be. So, you know, I think we're, we're always kind of navigating that duality as Latinos. Do I, do I identify as a Latina? Yes. Do I identify as a Cuban American? It does get more and more granular. And I think we all have that experience, but yeah, I think if you were to kind of like pull back and look at us at a macro level, they'd be like, it's all Latino to me. So like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of it. That's where you can kind of look at the Venezuelan, you can look at the El Salvadoran, you can look at the Mexican American, kind of like, you know, look at, we can look at each other and roll our eyes and say, there's a lot they don't see. That's okay. We're, you know, it's, 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 you know, we all want to be understood and it's, it's, in uh, that, that's part of the work um, that we get to all do together to kind of both be, you know, understood and seen more clearly, and then also to understand each other more deeply, mm -hmm. um, both as Latinos and as Americans. And, you know, I think, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a project. It's all something that that's ongoing and evolving. Um, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's a privilege that we get to do this work because a lot of sacrifices were made to get us to the point where, you know, I think if, if I were to explain to my like great grandmother who was experiencing the revolution and be like, you know, abuela, you happy. There is, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they, don't, they, they think I, they think I like hot sauce. She'd be like, are you kidding me? You know, they, 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 you know, they, they, they think this is, she'd be like, why, why are you, you're safe. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you get to, you're good Just, you know, I feel that now you know it's funny talking to my parents sometimes like oh this is what I'm doing today and they're like you complain over nothing see I think that's a shared experience I was um yeah I I was I I I live in front of a public pool and I do I do laps a lot and on the weekends there's always family day and I was I was next to this family they're very sweet and I could tell from the way that they were speaking that they were they had come more recently because they just didn't have, I think in Miami, there's a patois where you can kind of tell how recently people have come because, you know, if you have like a young child, but they're not, they're not dipping into English a lot, you, you know, like, okay, they're growing up in a house where Spanish language is dominant. Whereas opposed to if, you know, for me, it's like, it's always kitchen Spanish. It's always a mishmash yeah. of Spanish and English, but oh, this, this child speaks better than I do. So they must, you must be, you know, they, they must've come more recently. And, you know, the little girl, she was like maybe six years old and she was talking to her dad and she's like, okay, dad, I'm going to go down halfway down here and then I'm going to turn around and then you're going to, and then I'm going to go back to you. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm doing my own kind of, you know, exercise, but I'm like aware of them. I'm like, oh, sweet. She's, she's learning how to swim and she wants to show her dad how much she's learned. And I, you know, I kind of go and come back and then I kind of see him and she says to her dad, she's like, okay, now I want you to try it. And, you know, he, he kind of like, he tries to do what she just did. And I realized, oh, she's not showing her dad how she learned to swim. She's teaching her dad how to swim. Yeah. And I thought, that's it. That's the experience every first generation, second generation kid knows. In some way, even though you love your parents, you feel safe with your parents, you're you're the bridge. You're the person who's translating these new experiences to them. And I think it's it's such it's such a responsibility. And I think it maybe in many ways it's a formative responsibility. And I think so many of us share that. And that's something that cuts across ethnicity and race and background. If you're having that immigrant experience, and we're all in kind of different stages of it, 
But to me, that's such a unifying experience that as first and second generation, we know what it is to have to turn to your parents and say, no, this is what she meant. And no, mom, you've got to like, this is, this is where this is. Like we have to, we have to be the translators for our parents. And at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to infantilize what our parents have done because they're heroes also. They're people who have said, you know, this is, this is not the life I want. I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to go to a new country. And it's, and it was, it was for us. And it was for these, you know, in many ways, sometimes it was for, for, for these, for these families that they didn't even have yet, or for this future that they didn't even know yet, but they just knew that they were, there wasn't, they were going to make this very serious life, in some ways, life risking choice to, to just look for something else in the world and to create it, create something else. And I think that we have this relationship with our families is something that connects all, all, you know, all immigrants. And I think whatever other forms, whatever expressions it takes, that's that kind of core sense of, you know, kind of taking care of each other in ways that maybe flip the script. Um, you can be like a young person taking care of your parents and they've already done so much for you more than I think anybody could have ever asked them as parents. I think that's a really unique and wonderful experience that that's made us all who we are. And I think that's something that we can always communicate across um, for me, that's my, that was, that was my understanding of, of, you know, just kind of seeing that I just, I just something like I looked on and you're like, oh, that's it. That's exactly it. And I experienced that in so many different ways still, you know, my yeah. mother's been here since she was 13 and I still have those moments where I'm like, mom, no, this is, this is, it's okay. And she has those experiences where she looks at me and she'd be like, no, 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 se dice así. and she corrects my Spanish and she says, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I have some stories I'm thinking about that I can tell you after the call, but <laughs> yeah, there's definitely those moments where it's, it's funny to have to kind of like correct things, but also be corrected in turn, you know, it's always that back and forth between. <laughs> yeah. And I just you know, I feel like an awful person because I feel like, you know, we'll just, we'll laugh like, you know, the accents and we'll joke and it's always this thing. And I'm like, you know what, their, their, their Spanish is better than my English. And I'm getting away with murder right now because, you know, it's 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 always like they, they speak two languages and you're like oh, and I'm giving them a hard time because <laughs> my Maybelline has become my Beine. <laughs> oh my god it's it, but it's a problem though because I know I've definitely been caught where sometimes I'll do my dad's voice but in public yeah. everyone's like what are you doing and I'm like no I love him like it's <laughs> it's endearment <laughs> like it's like you know but it's also like I don't know it's it's it's, its own language I think you know the way because it's it's like they they find grooves in the English language that you you just kind of you know blitz through but they're like yeah. oh god I guess it's spelled that way and why wouldn't we think this way or like the emphasis is all you know like that's kind of great like you know it's like you know it's its, it's own patois that you know yeah. only only we can really understand it's a really cool thing that's happening, like still ongoing because the population keeps growing with just certain grooves of rhythm and linguistics are happening. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's really cool to hear them. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry if this if this is coming off the little thing. <laughs> it was, but it's okay. I was going to make a note of it afterwards, but... I don't know how to mute it without muting myself. <laughs> I guess just to kind of, you know, slowly close out. I'm wondering, mm -hmm. my phrases. Do you take issue with how Miami is typically 
like portrayed in popular culture or just you know in the general atmosphere of the rest of the country and what is your vision of Miami yeah I do take issue because I think Miami is a city that because it's a largely majority foreign born city because it's a largely Latino city in the way that it's identified, even though I do think we have also, of course, very large diaspora communities from Haiti and, and from other parts, parts of the world that have been equally important and formative in Miami. I think to the extent that Miami can both be, can be easily dismissed, it is in, in some ways a kind of anti-immigrant bias and a discomfort that people can, that we can have a city that's very comfortable that's entirely established by people who are comfortable in being outside of an American cultural context. And that could be very, that, that can be something that, you know, and when you dismiss kind of Miami or kind of, you're dismissing a city that's very much a city of the future because in, in our, our global, um, the, the global direction everything is going with, we're, we're, we're experiencing things in real time that other people are going to eventually catch up to. Um, and, you know, I, I think in some ways it's like, it's, it's that discomfort. You know, I know someone who he said, you know, he was, he was going to, um, he, he was, he, he was going to Columbia very often and he kept getting pulled, pulled aside by um, this, the, the customs person. Mm -hmm. And he, he would get, he got really frustrated and he said, you know, I, I come here very often. I'm just, you know, I just, I have this reason for coming here. There's nothing there's there's this thing nefarious going on. You 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 stop me and you question me every time. Why do you keep stopping me? I just I never have anything. Why 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 do I always concern you? And he said because there's something about you I can't explain. And I and and that's all we're looking for. Um, that's that's my job. I'm supposed to identify people I can't explain and then pull them aside. And I think Miami is very much that city. There's something about us they can't explain. And for that reason, we're always kind of a, a point of, you know, derision or, you know, and at the same time, we're kind of exoticized in a way that they're just like, oh, it's so, <laughs> that's where you can go there and, and kind of almost like a free state where you can kind of do things that you can't do in other places. There's something about it that, that people can't easily explain. And I think that's what makes us, you know, something that people are both fascinated by, but then they also want to diminish um, or contextualize or just say like, oh, it's just, they're just crazy. And you're like, well, yeah, maybe, but we're also very much, um, you know, very much part of the United States or very much part of um, this country. You're going to find the most, probably the most patriotic people in the world here um, because they do, they do value democracy and they do have such a lived experience of, they, they've experienced the loss of it. Um, and that, 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 that that finds expression in in a lot of different ways. Some of them I'm, I think are are positive. Some of them I think can, you know, maybe not be express be positive in a way that I would like, or or, or can maybe feel like they're they're self defeating. I don't know that, that that person probably has a different perspective on it. But I think you know I think there's a lot of things that if you can if you can resolve them here, you'll find a model that can be followed be replicated across the United States because to have a largely immigrant community that has has achieved this degree of political and cultural weight 
um, I think is really important and I think it's wonderful. And I want it to be seen as a positive and I want it to be seen as a positive for others who maybe don't have that same don't have the same resources, don't have that same political power. I want us to be seen as 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 all going towards a positive direction in a way that we extend it to other communities. Um, so that's 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 what I would like to see happen in Miami. Not not have it be something of like, oh, there's all these, you know, fractured people who have become, you know, kind of associated with anti-authoritarian, you know, anti-democratic institutions or have become part of this very ideologically hard right state. I want us to stay, you know, what we've always been. We've always been a swing state. We've always been a very, a, a community that beyond being, you know, right or left, Republican or Democrat has always been a community that is always engaged in this process, um, has always kind of been in the process of understanding it because, you know, we're a very large persuasion, we're, we're persuasion voters. And I think every community white, black, Latino, they should always feel, every every elected official should feel that your vote is in play and mm-hmm. they should always be working very hard to keep your vote. They should never be able to just kind of like sit back and be like, oh, I know what to say to them. I can figure them out. I can just tell them what they wanna hear and just kind of, you know, keep going my way. No, you should always be communicating with people and you should always be held accountable for providing and kind of making, seeing through whatever you've promised um, in a way that honors the sacrifice they made in reaching this, this state of safety and, and and democracy. So, yeah. That's a really good answer. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. That was incredible. Thank you for that. <laughs> Even me, I'm still like absorbing what we said. <laughs> We're a rambler. So, no, 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 you're an explainer and I love it. <laughs> I'm human. So this would also be, you know, normally as we could have this conversation, this is, this is, this, this should help you understand why there's always a crowd of people in front of Versailles drinking coffee and just like expounding. Oh, that's, you know, an amazing cultural exchange right there. <laughs> where can the people find you and where can they find Miami Freedom Project? They can find us at Miami Freedom Project on Instagram and at Miami underscore freedom at on Twitter. Um, And we're always, you know, we have, we're always engaging. We're always trying to hear from other people, other people in the community and really wanting to share our platform with so that everybody can feel heard and seen and and just be part of the conversation that we've, we've started. Thank you for joining me. This has been incredible. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. What does freedom mean to you? Because to me, freedom does not mean punishing kids for trying to figure out who they are, right? It does not mean suppressing the right to vote. Actually, if I think about it, Suppressing the right to, to, to vote sounds like the complete opposite of freedom. Um, if I'm being honest, it, it this this new language of the right, right, against anti wokeness and critical race theory, it's all the same old dog whistles, right? They're packaged it for a new audience or for a new modern era, but it's the same. It's the same nonsense. And at the end of the day. 
Listen, there are some real problems facing Florida. And there are some real issues facing Miami. Whether it's climate change, whether it's racial justice and equity, whether it's housing affordability or accessibility. right? These are real and these are ever-present. We don't need to make up bad guys to fight. <laughs> we, have, we have plenty at our disposal. We have plenty of issues that need to be addressed to make up new ones for the sake of pandering to this, this audience that just wants politics to be a gladiator fight. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous and it's cruel. And it's not what freedom means to me, respectfully. This has been Minority Report. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time. This has been Minority Report with me, your host, Salomon Flamenco. The socials to Minority Report will be in the description down below alongside the socials for Miami Freedom Project. If you would like to continue the conversation, email us at minorityreport.beat at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.